Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. And as we enter this new year, 2019, much has been on my mind and my heart about the church. And it's been over the past several months, leading up to the turn of the new year. Things had been uh, moving around in my mind, in my heart, and I, I was coming to a place where I th- was really feeling this is something I want to bring to Bethesda Christian Church. But I had an experience that somewhat solidified it in my mind. I was at a meeting with some people who were from out of town. They were completely unfamiliar with our community, completely unfamiliar with our church, and they were asking questions about the church. And one of the questions was about the number. People are always interested in the number. How many people are at your church? How many people? And I gave a response, and there was one of our uh, other ministers there in the group who said, hey, hey, that's just, that's a Sunday number. That's not really reflective of the entire church. And I stood there for a second and said, you know, you're right. We're missing a lot of people this morning. And we're missing a lot of people every Sunday morning. So really, there's only a portion of the church here this morning. And the number I told this individual about how many people are here, well, I said, well, I guess I could, yeah, I could raise it up. Maybe I should add 20% or 30% because there's only a portion here, not, not everyone. And I, I understand. I understand. People get sick. I get that. I understand there are transportation issues. I understand that some people, uh, they... They need a ride. They can only come once a month or however they've arranged. I totally and completely uh, understand that. Of course, I'm uh, sympathetic to that. Work schedules, work schedules. We live in a 24-7 world, don't we? Whatever closes down. It used to be, I I guess, uh, public safety and medical was open 24-7, but now it's everything. So people have work schedules that they have to uh, commit to, to pay bills. And of course, I I understand that completely, absolutely, completely. And I'm not here this morning to, to pick on that or to bring people down or depress you about that. But I wondered, how many is that? How many are missing because of transportation and illness and work and such? And I did a little research. I looked at the Pew Research Center. It's a huge, huge uh, research organization. They do gigantic surveys on a variety of topics, but one that they uh, do quite regularly is called the Religion and Public Life Survey. They did one in 2014, so it's not that dated. And it was 35,000 people in all 50 states. It's not some tiny little sample size. So it's something, I think, that has some statistical accuracy. Their data, though, can be obtained not just 
for the nation, but for every single state. So I, I uh, drilled down to Michigan, and I found that Michigan really parallels the country. There's not much difference at all. And what I saw for Michigan, very similar to the nation, and I want to just present that to you very briefly, uh, something about church attendance that relates to those who would say, I'm evangelical and I'm in a ma- or I'm in a mainline Protestant denomination. So this excludes Catholic churches. It excludes uh, other churches that wouldn't be uh, considered Christian at all. And I looked and I saw less than half, less than half regularly attend a service once a week. So are we down less than half? Could I say we could double this? Ah, it's really, it's really sort of uh, sobering to look at that. And there's 21% that they say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm evangelical, or I'm part of one of the mainline Protestant churches, and seldom or never are making church regularly once a week. 44% say they regularly attend uh, some kind of service once a week. And of course, I understand too, we have Thursday service here that Brother Barry just mentioned, which is a great service, and some people have made that their weekly service. And I understand that as well. But uh, does does it rise to the level of about 66%. So I've considered this and I've thought about it and I've had some discussions with our ministry team and we, we really come up with more questions maybe than answers and it come down to just a couple questions. Just a couple questions. What are we doing here? That's number one. And why? Why are we here? I mean, is this important? Is this thing called church have some value? And if so, why would so many people say, well, I, I don't need it or I'll, I'll put it off? And, and when I say we, when I say what are we doing, and I'm, I'm really talking about the local church. And to the extent that I'll be speaking to you, this local church, what is it all about? And as I've thought about it and we've talked about it and we've discussed it, uh, I have come to some enormously, immensely positive answers to these questions. There are some fantastic reasons to be part of a local church. The answers are true. They're backed by the word of God, but they're also backed by people's real life experiences, experiences of people here in this church, experiences that are wonderful, they're fantastic, they're positive, they're great, and it's because they have made church, a local church, and in particular this one, part of their life regularly. But so many, so many are missing it. Many seem to view the church as an occasional 
or, or worse, 20% or 21%, seldom, if ever. And by the way, I looked at the question that was asked in the Pew survey. I always like to find out exactly what they're asking. And they were asking, excluding funerals and weddings. So how often do you attend a service? Let's exclude weddings and funerals. Because some people might say, oh, I went to three weddings and two funerals. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah. So those were excluded. So many missing out. And you know what? Unfortunately, it's not really that unusual. And that is unfortunate. It's not unusual and it's not really new. Here we stand at 2019, 2100 years or so since the church was founded. And this isn't that much different. The early churches, they faced challenges, people lost interest, people fell away. The New Testament attests to that. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about people who tasted the goodness of the word of God and the glory to come who've fallen away. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. They fell away. And we can look into John's letters. John was the leader of the church in the city of Ephesus. He was their pastor. The first letter from Pastor John to the church in Ephesus, it was a letter to a church in crisis. And there must have been some kind of crisis of belief. John wrote things like, it's the last hour. Many antichrists have appeared. For we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. So again, people in the church, then out of the church, he wrote also, there are those who are trying to lead you astray. Don't let anyone be led astray. Yeah, that was happening. People were being led astray, taken away. They went away from the church. They went away from their faith. And it does continue to this day. So I thought, let's talk about it. Let's be open about it. Let's talk about the church. Let's talk about the positives and the great things. And let's talk about even some of the challenges. And like the early church, I want to come to you like a letter, personal, from my heart. Uh, myself and all the other ministers in the church here, we care deeply for this place. This isn't just a job to us. It's not something that's just keeping our time for a few years while we look for something else. We care deeply for the people who make this Bethesda Christian Church. We spend a lot of time together praying, planning, doing our level best to lead and we see as very, very vital and important answers to what are we doing here and why are we here. So over the next several weeks, 
I want to bring that to you. I want to address these questions. I want to consider some of the fantastic, beautiful, positive reasons for being part of the church and really being part of it. And I want to talk also about the responsibilities and not just the responsibilities of those who are in leadership, but all of us, all of our individual responsibilities, one to the other, to the Lord. So from me to you, like a letter. How should I start? You know, I, I get a lot of correspondence, but I don't get too many letters anymore. And I'm sure that's the case with many of you. You get text messages, right? You get emails. And they come through. But how do they begin? Most emails I get, they don't begin with anything. It's I've got this problem, or what's happening? There isn't any real, what happened to the salutations? They seem to become a a relic. Text messages, really never. It probably starts with some initials or something. There, There is really no opening. There is no greeting. Sometimes I'll get a hi. Hi, comma, hello, comma. And I, I, I try uh, my best to at least include something like that. Hello to the team. Hi, everyone. Something to introduce. In the, in the New Testament, there's many letters. And you know, some of them, I've talked about one at least, the letter to the Hebrews. It kind of opened like a text message, didn't it? It opened like, a, like an email. Didn't say who it was to or who it was from. God who at sundry times and in diverse ways. Wow, hey, who is this from? What is it about? But many of the letters, they have some uh, grandiose openings. They have some really formal openings, some long ones. The first letter to the Corinthians, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So he lets you know, hey, there's two people writing the letter. And then he goes on, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Now there's an opening. That's a little grander than the opening I have. Mine is, it's just from the heart. Dear church, dear church, what is this place all about? This local church. How do we view it? Can we say the church is like a c- club? It's like a community group. It's similar to a, a union or a social society, a league, an association. When we come together We do so to meet our needs. Or have we been thinking about it the wrong way? If we see the church akin to a community group, I want to do my best this morning to turn that notion upside down. And I'm using as my model Jesus. Because Jesus turned a lot of things upside down. He turned a lot of people's views and what they understood totally on its head. 
Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and 6. Jesus said this, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it. This is the way it is. Let me tell you different. He was flipping things on their head. In a great Sermon on the Mount, half a dozen times Jesus says that. You have heard it said, but I tell you. When it comes to things like anger and adultery and divorce and oaths and retribution and dealing with your enemies, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was not addressing the uh, hypocritical hierarchy of the Jewish uh, faith at the time. This was no uh, message to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. No, this was a message to crowds of regular people. Matthew's gospel gives us a description of who these people were. Large crowds from Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea. And from the region across all of Judea and the Jordan, they followed Jesus. And he went up on a mountainside and he began to talk to them. So these are regular people. These are the regular folks. These are uh, the, the uh, rank and file, if you will. Jesus was addressing the mainstream. And he was taking on the consensus views of the people. What they understood about adultery and anger and divorce and making, uh, making a vow or an oath, uh, what they thought about uh, retribution and dealing with your enemies. And Jesus just turned it on its head. I'll just give you one example there. The last one about dealing with your enemies. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, well, what are you going to get for that? What reward is there there? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Even the pagans do that. See, Jesus was flipping it on its head. Imagine for the first time hearing that. Love my enemies? Really? Pray for them? Oh, I never was taught that. He went on to say, even the tax collectors, they greet, their, they greet their own. So when it comes to the church, the local church, some might say, yeah, it's like a community group of like-minded people, a group of people with common beliefs in Jesus. We do good deeds together and we get help when we need it. And that's, that, that's a partial description. But church... The local church is much, much more than a community group. It's more than a social club that has a president. It's uh, not a community organization with a chairperson. The church is an entity that was established by Jesus, Jesus Christ. And in a word, Jesus is sovereign. Now, what is sovereign? It's, it, it's way above a committee chairperson. It's way above a community group president. 
Sovereign is possessing supreme power and authority. Jesus is not just sovereign over a group or even a country or a continent or even the world. Jesus is sovereign over the entire universe. He's a, he's a, he has got power and authority over everything, the temporal and the eternal. Jesus is a sovereign, resurrected king. So I want to flip the idea of what we think about church a little bit on its head. And I want to make the point, too, about Jesus and flip it on its head. If we've been thinking about Jesus as a king and we kind of picture him as an earthly king and and our limited understanding, I want to just turn that over. And I call him the unking. And you might scratch your head and say, what do you mean the unking? Jesus is the unking. He's he's the king because his his kingship and his sovereignty and his reign, it's not anything close to our idea of what a worldly king is. Jesus is the unking because his power is unlimited. It's unbounded. It's undisputed. It's unqualified. Jesus Christ's sovereign reign is unrestricted. His power is uh, unhindered. It's unimpeded. It is unobstructed. Jesus is unencumbered by anything, anywhere. And that is undeniable. And it's unequivocal. Jesus Christ is the king of a kingdom. He is the king of a kingdom that we're part of, that the local church is part of. That is beyond community group. Now let's, let's read a little bit about this king from Psalm number two. Psalm number two gives us a little insight into the king here, who's a king over all, king of everything. I want to read to you the first uh, eight verses of Psalm number two. It says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession. This is a description of our king, Jesus. You know, the world feels chained in and constrained by him. And they say, let's throw off the shackles and get rid of these chains of God. And what does he do on his, what does the one do enthroned in heaven? He laughs. He scoffs. He's bigger than anything, anywhere, more powerful. We really need to, we really need to let that soak in. 
Jesus is king over all. He's king over the whole world. He is king over the entire universe. He's not the leader of a club. He's the resurrected king of an eternal kingdom. And he's established authority on earth. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it tells us that. There's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So the earthly authority established by God. But he also establishes authority in his kingdom. His kingdom. Jesus once asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? It was Simon Peter who responded to Jesus and he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now Jesus replied to Peter and he said, He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And this is Matthew 16. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, in his response to Peter, Jesus did something here. Jesus ordained his kingdom on earth, his church, with the passing of keys and with the authority to make binding decisions in the kingdom of heaven on earth. He was establishing authority. The authority in the church has been set in place by King Jesus, king of the universe, the un-king, because he's unlimited. And Paul, the apostle, in his uh, letter to the church in Ephesus, he told us Jesus is the head of the church. All power, all power, everything is under him everything. Jesus is the sovereign. He is the supreme resurrected king, and we are citizens of that kingdom. We're citizens of a kingdom. We're not members of a club. We're citizens of a kingdom that's not of this world. It's a spiritual eternal kingdom. Yet Jesus Christ saw fit to initiate his kingdom in this world. So we're not of the world, but we're in the world. And the Bible describes to us Christians as being strangers, strangers in the world, foreigners, exiles, sojourners. We are people in the world. We're not of the world. We're of his kingdom. But we're not without a country. We're not without a kingdom because we have his. We're citizens. We're citizens. And we have a place to come to find asylum from the world and sanctuary from the world. And it is called the local church. And that's where we come to, to, together to get that asylum and to get uh, that sanctuary. It's, and, and let me give you the closest possible example I can uh, come up with in an earthly way. And that is an embassy or a consulate. I was on a vacation a year or so ago outside of the country. It was a tour. And we were on a tour with about 50 other people. So we're together moving bus to uh, different types of transportation, like a boat. We got in a little boat to take a, a little ride, and we got off and began to tour this little part of a city. And a man that was with us, he says, oh, my goodness, I don't have my backpack. Where's my backpack? And he runs back to the dock 
and he finds the boat, and his backpack's long gone. And his passport was in the backpack. Man and his wife from Australia. And he's in a foreign country. So what does he do? He wants to get home. He wants to get out of this country, get to his home. He has got to make his way to the Australian consulate or embassy there in the city. And fortunately, we were in uh, nearby to the capital city, so he was able to go there, go to his embassy. And what did they do there at the embassy? What do they do there? They confirm his citizenship. They validate the man and who he is. They, they credential him. And then he is sent back out. And when he came out, let me tell you, this guy that was down in the dumps with his wife because he had lost his, his, his citizenship, his identity, if you will, he came back smiling. Lost a couple days, but he came back, got on a bus, happy because he had been confirmed and he had been validated. And now he could walk around with confidence and assurance, knowing that his credentials were going to get him home. And the local church is Jesus' embassy on earth. He, was, uh, he, he has established authority in the church. And it's where citizens are welcomed and confirmed and validated, and even where new citizens are, are added. I was born into the United States of America as a citizen. See, and Jesus Christ is over a, a government. He is a king over a kingdom. He is a real king with a real government. And in being born, and being born again, You've been born into a new kingdom to which nothing on earth is equal. As citizens of his kingdom church, I believe we can all see Jesus Christ as a real king. But what about his kingdom? I mean, have we lost sight of the church? Is it real to us? Have we received the declaration, my kingdom is not of this world? Have we accepted the commission granted to the office bearers of the church when Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Or is the church a club, community group, where membership and attendance is optional on a whim? You know, it wasn't optional for me when I was born into the United States. And I haven't gone to my mom and said, hey, can I do a redo? I really think... I should be German. Can't we go back? Can, you, can, you, can I be born into Germany or France or some other country? I can't do the redo. I was born into this country, and I'm a citizen. If you're born again, you've been born again into a kingdom, and you're a citizen of that kingdom. Citizenship is not optional. The way of life in the kingdom is not arbitrary. It is under the headship of King Jesus and the authority of his kingdom on earth, the church. This is his local church, his consulate, if you will. We come together as citizens. Let that sink in. We come together as citizens, not club members. Citizens with rights and privileges in the kingdom. Fabulous, positive, awesome, wonderful rights and, and, and great privileges that we can reap 
yet not without responsibility. We know that every citizen in every country has certain rights and responsibilities. And we have responsibility to the king. We have responsibility to others. Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, let us not consider, let us consider, I'm sorry, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, less than half of the citizens regularly make the place where you get validated, lifted, confirmed, edified, built up, less than half make it once a week. Church, dear church, what is this all about? Is it about I'll come when I need it? I'll be a part when it suits me? When my time fits in, you know, when the sports schedule changes, well, it's not football season anymore, so I can come to church. Or is it about being a citizen of a kingdom under a king who is the supreme sovereign of the universe? I say that's what it's about, and it's, a, it's about having that citizenship uh, built up and strengthened together together. Let us consider how we can spur one another on together, weekly, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. You know, if you're connected to one of maybe the 50 to 60 percent who aren't here, encourage them. Encourage them. They're missing out on a meeting with the Holy Spirit the supreme, awesome king. Let's encourage them and then integrate our Monday to Saturday lives under the headship of the king because I fear sometimes Sunday doesn't translate sometimes to Monday. It translates to next Sunday, or maybe a few Sundays later, whenever it is, one makes it back. Monday to Saturday, you're still a citizen. You're still under the headship of the king. Let's endeavor to live our lives Monday to Saturday under the headship of the king and include others, include others who are living that life, other saints, other exiles, sojourners, etc. Now, if we see this church as a voluntary association, we need to turn that thinking on its head. We are a consulate of the highest power of the entire universe, and that's an amazing thing. Our supreme king is no ordinary king. He is the unking. Let me keep turning the earthly view of the king upside down. Our king gave his life. Our king gave his life as a sacrifice to win us eternity. Our sovereign willingly suffered and died to bring us pardon for sin. 
What other king has done that? We gather this morning, and sadly, some are missing it. But we gather this morning to sit down to remember that and memorialize that in our time of communion. And that is another extremely important aspect of being together and part of a local church. We share a memorial meal as a local body incorporated into the greatest kingdom ever. And why do we do it? We do so as a reminder of what our great king did for us. He died for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's from Pastor John's letter to the church at Ephesus. It's amazing. It is amazing. Have we lost the amazement? And, I, and, and maybe not, you haven't. I'm preaching to the choir here today. It's, it's the ones that, the ones that, are missing. The ones that are, ah, you know, they are making it optional. Reach out to them. Let them know how amazing it is and what they're missing. We're, uh, we're celebrating the king of the universe.